Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for that welcome. And you guys have been great this morning. Just the folks that I've met here have been great to to uh, get to know a little bit or to say hi to. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me before we get going, so it's not just some stranger up here. We'll all become friends first, and then we can, you know, we can jump into God's Word today and uh, really find out what He wants to to challenge us with today. Um, uh, As Ashley said, uh, I'm a pastor over at the Restoration Point over just Waller Road in 84th. Is it that way? Not kind of turn around a little bit. It's kind of it's that way, maybe uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm not the lead pastor there. I'm, I'm on staff. I'm as a teaching pastor, so I teach on Sundays. Sometimes uh, I lead our Discover Ministry School campus. I know you guys do that here too, and we actually have a really cool partnership. Um, you know, we do like one year. There's two years of Discover Ministry School. We're doing like year one right now, while you guys are doing year two, and then when you guys you know do year one, we do year two. So there's always a place to plug somebody in. There's always a place for someone to continue, and uh, we've got you know we have exchange of our students, which is a really cool deal. So we've already got a partnership going there. Uh, What else can I say? Um, You know, I I think it's just important for you guys to know that I really love this church, which is also a cool thing. Like, you're not strangers to me, even though I don't know many of of you individually. Uh, I love this church. We've been, uh, my wife and I have been you know, back in Puyallup, I say back because I grew up here, but we, we moved here in Puyallup 19 years ago, and we've been connected to this church in some way, like ever since 19 years ago. When we were looking for a home church, we, we toured a few of the churches around the area and everything, and we were, you know, we were part of a service with Celebration Center at the time, back when you guys were in Rogers High School, cafeteria, you know, and uh, we, we were there and uh, got to hear Chris Hansler speak there, and we loved the church, we loved the experience, um, we just, we thought God was calling us eventually to, to Bethany, which is really, you know, Bethany Open Bible, if there are any of you that are, you know, original, uh, you know, members way back when, uh, which is the church that actually, you know, Chris Hansler came out of when he plans at Celebration Center. So, so we, we visited this church way back when, but uh, it hasn't just been, you know, 19 years ago. We, our kids came to the preschool, you know, our, our kids were part of your preschool here. We've done youth events together, we've done men's events, women's events, etc. cetera, uh, and we still just, you know, we get the chance to share just with what God's doing in our community. So I think it's awesome. We're partners, we're friends, we're relatives, you know, we're family, uh, not just, um, you know, churches that don't know each other across. So this is a cool opportunity for me to be here and have the chance to speak with you today. Uh, I also brought, you know, I have my wife and one of my sons here over here on the front row. This is Olivia and Alex. Uh, I have another son who's Isaac, um, and he's up at college with uh, Canyon Farmer, if you know Canyon. Uh, they're both going to the same school right now. So again, just we're just connected all over the place. So anyway, it's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to have the chance to share God's word with you. Um, let's go to him in a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do, God, that you're working everywhere in so many ways in our communities, in our families, in our churches. And uh, even today, Lord, that you just bring together just different parts of your family to, to rejoice together, celebrate together, and ask you, God, to speak into our midst. And so we do that now, Lord. We invite you in. You are welcome. You are the reason we're here. And uh, we, we want our hearts to be prepared to receive what you would say to us today, Lord. Help us to have ready and open hearts to be able to receive your word and to put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today in my sermon, and uh, I hope it's okay if, you, if I start out with one that's a little bit of a personal question, but I will also put you at ease right from the very beginning that no one is going to be asked to come up on the stage and share their personal answer to that question. It is just to get you 
thinking, because I think this question is a little bit challenging, it's a little bit scary, uh, how I might answer this question. So maybe it is for you too. So here's the question, okay? When was the last time your words got you in trouble? When was the last time your words, like things you said, what you wrote, what you posted online somewhere, got you in some sort of trouble, and you're like, well, what does trouble count as, you know, right? But, so say, uh, maybe at least, when was the last time your words made you regret the fact that you let them go from you? And that's a little bit of a bold question, I know, because this question, just by asking this question, assumes, well, of course, you've got an answer to this question. Of course, this has happened to you. I didn't ask you, you know, if this has happened. I said, okay, I know, I know. But when was the last time this happened? And, and by asking that, I'm also assuming that it was probably recent enough that you remember this. It, you know, probably most of us wouldn't say, back when I was three, I think that happened. Yeah. No. Because here's what we all know, right? We all know that words can cause a lot of trouble. Words are a prime source of the regrets that we can experience in life. We know this from experience, our own experience. We don't need somebody else to be like, oh, did you know? And we know this from our experience. The very things that we have said, we have chosen these words, we've chosen to say them, they have made our lives significantly worse at times. But they don't stop there. The words we've said have also definitely made other people's lives worse too. Sometimes on purpose. At their most careless, our words have pushed away or strained relationships. They have revealed the darker side of our character, showing what's really going on inside of us. Or they've even caused great harm to other people. And yet, we all continue to use them. Every day it's like, well, that's just what we do. That's just normal business, isn't it? Words are just common, non-threatening matters that don't really warrant much of our attention. Now, there's an old Chinese proverb. You've probably heard it. It says, if you want to learn what water is like, don't ask the fish. And the idea is there is that a fish has no way of telling you what it's like to be wet when a fish has never known what it's like to be dry or even moist. A fish couldn't tell you any way about how hard or easy it is to move through water, what it's like to swim when it has never moved through any substance other than water. To a fish, water is just, that's just the way things are. That's not a very helpful description. If you were to ask as someone who doesn't live in water or doesn't know what it is, that's not very helpful. What is water? That's just the way things are. But I feel like sometimes that's how, it's, how it is like for us and words, like we are swimming in words. We are literally inundated with more words thrown at us every single day than we can possibly even process. We see them everywhere, we hear them everywhere, and we are all also contributors to this great mass of words clamoring for attention every day. We speak several thousand words a day on average, but in this digital day and age, we also type and we multiply words. We type words once and we click post or send and it goes to hundreds of people, family or friends that we know, maybe we know them. Or even simpler than that, 
Someone else already typed out all the words needed for us, so we just click like or share or retweet, and boom, now those words are sent to everyone we know. We didn't even have to work for it. So if you ask us, well, what are your words like? We might be no more useful than a fish trying to describe water. We haven't thought too much about it. Words became second nature for us decades ago, and now we're so busy trying to keep up with all the words that are in our lives, we haven't really taken the time to stop and examine what good or what evil or what indifference our words are producing. How are my words? Fine, I guess. Doesn't matter. Next topic, next post. And too often, I think we can just fit in with the system. This is just the way things are. We don't even think about our words. We don't think about the danger or the possibility present in them, the kind of character they should have, the way they should be used, the purpose behind them, how incredibly valuable they could be, or even how incredibly destructive they could be. Now, if you were here last week, then you know uh, Pastor Dustin became, uh, started a new series here, right? This new series titled Hot Mess. And, and I know for the next few weeks, you're going to be talking in this series as well. This topic of like, what if my life looks like a hot mess? What if my family's a hot mess? What if my job is? What if my schedule is? You know, how does God want to meet me in the midst of that and guide me out of it or guide me through it? And although today I'm not an official part of this teaching series, um, I thought this subject matter fits really well. Uh, maybe, you know, we're kind of like one of those spin-off series, you know, just for one week here. But um, because this isn't a topic where, you know, you're, you're not going to meet someone that comes up and goes, well, what if all the things I say are a hot mess? You're not going to find someone that's really concerned about it because we don't think about it that much. But I'll tell you, we sure have a way of making a lot of hot messes with what we say, with what we write, with what we send out into the world. Our words are capable of doing a lot of damage. But God wants to show us a better way. So today we get to talk about words, and I'll be honest to you, you know, this is one I just feel like we too often have ignored even though we have great scriptures about this, lots of them, way more than I could share with you today about it. We have Colossians 3.17, which says, whatever you do, and then it breaks that down into two categories, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Even though we have scriptures like this, I think we tend to focus a lot more on deeds when we focus on doing God's will. We'll talk about the spiritual disciplines we have. We'll talk about, you know, our church involvement. We'll talk about serving people. We'll talk about the things we don't do, the sinful habits that we don't do. These are things we look to and we point at and we can know for ourselves or we could tell other people or whatever, look, I'm, I'm working at doing God's will. This is where I'm growing in my faith. And I'm not saying those things are wrong at all. But it's a lot harder to point to a change in my vocabulary. It's a lot harder to look at a place, look, I kept my mouth shut over there. Or I had an important conversation where I used words in a healing and helpful way. But this scripture says, very interestingly enough, 
whatever you do with your words and whatever you do in your deeds, make sure they honor the Lord Jesus. Our words can be just as important as our deeds. In fact, God's word is quite clear that our words are far more important than we usually give them credit for. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Did you get that? I mean, for a subject we rarely think about, God's word says, our words have death or life consequences. And yeah, it says it in that order too. Like tongues are dangerous. The Bible actually talks about them a lot and we won't go through every verse because we'd be here too long. But it talks about tongues as if they are sharp swords, as if they are bows that shoot lies instead of arrows, as if they are poisonous vipers, as if they are a world of evil among parts of the body set on fire by hell. That's a little harsh sounding but it's God's word. On the positive side though, when used well, they're also described as choice silver or as a tree of life. Wise words are described as deep waters or as a meal that satisfies. Our words can be blessings or our words can be curses. Either way though, our words will matter, perhaps even more than we intended. So that's a huge problem for any of us if we say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but we just allow ourselves to say whatever comes naturally. I mean, the Bible says we are wielding a deadly weapon every time we speak or write. And James chapter 1 verse 26 actually says this. It says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Does it, really, does it really say that? I mean, we talked about we've got to follow God in word and in deed, but here James is telling us, he seems to be saying that if our words are unchecked, they could even cancel out our deeds. Look at the language he uses. He says we must keep a tight rein, like a bridle on our tongue. Something he later says, by the way, the tongue cannot be tamed. It's not going to get to this place where you don't need the bridle. The implication is clear that, that left to itself, the tongue, the pen, the keyboard will destroy. But control and choosing something different is possible. Left to themselves, our words are dangerous. They not only can harm other people, they can also destroy the value of our best intended actions. The things that we do to please God. I mean, that is what James is saying here. He's claiming that, that in other words, our words are no different. If our words are no different, if they are no different from the character of the words of the rest of this world, then our deeds for God would be worthless. If our words fit in just perfectly with how everyone else uses words, it doesn't matter how good our actions are because we won't end up showing the world who God is. Christians must speak differently. Christians must write and text and post and comment 
differently. How? Probably in a lot of ways, probably in many, many ways, but today we can focus on three. Three distinctive qualities of godly words that are in desperately short supply today. I mean, yeah, we've got words, you know, coming out our ears in this day and age. But if words are like stones, then godly words are like diamonds. They are valuable. They are unique. And unfortunately, they are more rare than we would like them to be. My hope today is that each of us will not look around at everybody else's words, but we will hold our own words up to what Scripture says about words, seeing clearly what the Scriptures say about the good stuff, what it looks like, and that we will make the choice to trade in our common stones for the polished diamonds that God wants us to have. So let's dive in and look at this, okay? Let's, let's give three answers to that question. Well, what is so unique what is so different and special about godly words anyway? And as far as answers go, let's start with one that might be an unexpected one. Godly words are measured. Godly words are measured. And I'm not talking about getting out a ruler necessarily. <laughs> uh, I'm not talking about that, but I wanted to choose a single word that really caught this meaning of both intentional and limited. Intentional and limited. When we say something is measured, it brings up this imagery of like a plan or a recipe, right? We measure all the ingredients we use in baking. Everything is added intentionally. It's added at the right amounts. Or we, we measure all the cuts that we make in a building project. Everything has to be done according to a plan. It's not too long, it's not too short, not too many cuts, not too few, or it ruins the outcome. So to be measured is to be careful, deliberate, intentional, to be on purpose. And this is exactly the kind of words God calls his children to use. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I'd like to ask you, did you do it? Do what? Did you take note of this? It says, hey, take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be good at least at this one thing. Jesus' followers should be known for being great listeners because that's where we start. Again, this is as rare as diamonds, right? This is the diamond stuff, but a godly relationship with words starts with wanting to put others first, where we show people, I want to know where you are. I want to know who you are and where you are coming from before I enter and even venture to speak a word into this conversation or to type a reply. Everyone should be slow to speak. Thinking should happen first. Deciding what really needs to be said should happen first. Choosing words carefully based on the audience, the situation, and the context. All people who follow Jesus 
should be slow to speak. I think I'm reading that right. And anger in our words should be rare as well. But tell me, Celebration Church, is that how it goes? <laughs> is that what we see? I mean, every one of us is supposed to be awesome at starting out by listening, starting out by giving others the floor, starting out by admitting that we need to learn and understand before we can really contribute well. Every one of us is supposed to master the beautiful art of not saying everything that comes into our heads. Every one of us should exercise self-control rather than allowing anger or any other emotion to just be in charge of what we will say. This is what is needed to produce words that are measured, words that are thoughtful, purposeful, and appropriate for the situation. My wife and I, we do some counseling for the church, and uh, we have seen it thousands of times, thousands of times, words that maybe were meant for good, but they just miss. They miss their mark. So we'll be working with a couple, and one person will pour out their heart to the other. They will, they will describe something absolutely important to them. He or she will bear their soul and they will speak in a way that makes them feel vulnerable, makes them feel nervous about the fact that these fragile and painful words are even coming from their mouth. They are risking rejection. You're entering into this special moment and then their spouse has a chance to respond. <laughs> and so often, the response is to defend themselves or to correct the other person or let me tell you that story again but from my perspective or simply, and this one baffles me a little bit, but just like, oh, you done talking? Now it's my turn. As if what they said didn't matter at all. The risk they took, the fragility, the vulnerability didn't matter one bit at all. And without even noticing it, this listener fails to listen. <laughs> they fail to listen. And so you know what? Whatever they say next, whatever thing they come and say next, uh, is going to miss the mark. It is going to be ineffective and unhelpful. It might be true. It might be real. It might be a legitimate perspective that their spouse needs to hear at some time. It might be. But all of that is wasted because the person didn't value their spouse enough to truly listen first. When someone pours out their heart and the response is, wow, that sounds like you've got problems. Wait until you hear mine. <laughs> when that happens, those words are not measured those words don't grow out of listening, reflection, purpose, and caring for others or what's needed in the situation. They're just self-centered. When can I express me? When do I get the floor? When do I be the focused? Measured words, thoughtful, purposeful words would have had to answer this question. What does someone who has 
taken a risk and expressed their hurts and their fears, what does that person need from me right now? What does that person need from the words I express next? And now that is a big question. That is a hard question to deal with. That's no small deal to wade into, but that is why listening is a prerequisite to producing meaningful, godly words. That's why we might need to take our time before we open our mouths because not just any words will do. Remember, words can produce death or life, blessings or curses. So we should not choose our words lightly. Measuring our words so that we give exactly what is needed, not more, not less, and not being clueless about what's needed either, that is a tough job. But it is the job. It is the job. We don't just get to write it off as something that, well, that's something some Christians do. No, I think we read it. I think we mentioned it several times. Everyone is charged with doing this, speaking the right words in the right situation, the right way. That is the gold standard, but God's word actually gives us some additional guidance in this area that might make this seem a little more doable, okay? (laughs) It might. I mean, right words, right amount, right time, right way. Yikes, that sounds really hard. Okay, well, if you need a starter place, we're going to give you one, okay? How about this then? Here's a good starter. Just speak less. Just text, comment, or post less. For there is great wisdom in simply holding back. Listen to some wisdom from Proverbs. We got chapter 10, verse 19. It says this Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Tell like it is. Chapter 13, verse 3 says, Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. And chapter 11, verse 12 says this, It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. I know it's hard to believe, but the world doesn't need every one of my opinions. There are more verses. I won't share them now. James also told us to be slow to put our words out there, but we need to know that measured words are not just thoughtful and purposeful. It's not just about picking those right words. They're also limited. They're not every word that you could put in there. They're not every word that you could say. They're limited on purpose. I told you I had questions for you today. Here's another one for you, just for you. How often do you deny yourself the privilege of expressing your words? How often? So what is so unique about godly words? Let's go to our second one. Godly words are gracious. Godly words are gracious. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, 31, and 32. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, 
and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. We're not ruling out behavior, but we're talking a lot about words. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ forgive, has forgiven you. Look, I think in these three verses alone, this is just three verses out of the entire Bible, but every single one of us probably has something to work on here with our words. I can pick out a few for me. <laughs> I mean, this is just simple do's and don'ts, but these aren't just like hot tips, you know, hey, try this out. No, these are God's commands to us. Don't have a filthy mouth. Don't tear other people down with your words. Don't nurture bitterness, anger, insults, attacks. Do what? Do make everything you say good and helpful. That takes some work. <laughs> That's going to take some time. Do make everything you say good and helpful. Do encourage. Do nurture kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Godly words do not exalt the self. Godly words give grace. They give out good that other people didn't earn, didn't deserve. They're like, that's what I'm here for. I want you to receive the good, regardless of whether you are deserving of it or anything. That's what godly words do. They give grace to others. And you know this one, in some ways, this one seems like a complete no-brainer, right? Um, I'm going to guess there's not one person listening to this message today that is surprised that God wants us to speak kindly to others. I mean, whether or not you're a Christian, this is probably what your parents tried to teach you, what your school teachers tried to teach you. And if you're a parent, what you are trying to teach your kids, be nice, be a good friend, help others out, don't call names, don't lose your temper, don't say things you're going to regret, don't spread rumors, don't say hurtful things, right? I mean, we've all probably heard this teaching hundreds or thousands of times before today. So that brings us to our next very important question then, and that is then, then what happened? What happened? Why are we all such jerks sometimes? Sometimes. Why can we all read the same three little verses from the Bible that have to do about our words and we can all go, oh, I've got some work to do on some things. There is some work that God needs to do in me on some things. If we've known this stuff all our lives, how come I can ask the question, I could ask anyone here, are your words gracious? And your answer would be anything less than, of course, they are all the time, every day. I've been working on this since I was two. Uh, maybe you can say sometimes. Maybe you can say I try. Maybe uh, a few confident people here, some of you that are really confident might say, I think they're usually gracious. But why is it we can have God's word saying, let everything you say be good and helpful. And we can have a lifetime of people teaching us at least to be nice. And we can still look like grade school bullies the moment that we start replying to somebody's post on social media. Or the minute somebody's not in the room and we're talking about them, the rules seem to change for us. Why is it that we can still make a bad situation worse just by opening our mouths? I will tell you part of the answer. It's because we make excuses for ungodly speech. 
We make excuses for it. We relabel profanity and we call that adult language. Shouldn't that be an insult to adults? Uh, we relabel verbal abuse and we say, I'm defending myself. That is a good thing for me to do. We will devalue other human beings who are created in the image of God, but we'll tell ourselves, well, we didn't do any real harm to them because it was just words. We look around at the world around us. We look at the words others are using. We go, hey, you know what? You know what I found out? Nobody's tender-hearted. Why should I be? So we lower ourselves to that level then and tell ourselves, hey, we're just fitting in. Or we tell ourselves we are using the language of the culture. Have you heard that one? Uh, should I go on? We've got more. In fact, I want to mention three big ones that I think are kind of some favorites sometimes with people who, who are Christians. And I will say, I've used these myself, so uh, preaching to me here too. But if I'm honest, um, I think there are at least these three I, I hear come up, um, even among people that are saying they want their words to be godly words. So here's some more excuses. One, I'm just being authentic. You know, this is who I am. This is what I think. I just tell it like it is. You know, and if you don't like it, I, I'm sorry about that, but I'm just being honest and authentic about me. Two, I'm right. So, you know, I'm not going to let someone else who is wrong, you know, morally or factually, I'm not going to let them come out of this conversation feeling superior, like, like they are right when they're not. I mean, like, I stand up for truth. Three, this one I mentioned a little bit earlier too. Uh, I'm actually just defending something that's good. We should defend the good, right? So when good is attacked, God's people need to respond in kind and attack back in order to defend what is good and right. So we say. And under these three excuses, I'm just being authentic, I'm right, and I'm defending something that is good, too often as Christians, we just leave gracious words in the rearview mirror somewhere. Don't know where they went. And we become jerks for Jesus. T-shirts coming. Uh, sure, we use kind and loving words. We do that a lot, actually. Um, but just not when people take a swing at us, right? Or just not when someone else has this flaw that really needs to be pointed out, uh, or just not when someone else is wrong or, or when they're being stupid, uh, then the tone changes, right? And, and the jerks for Jesus set out to crush the opposition and humiliate the people who dared to cross us, all while feeling we are doing God a favor. But here's the deal. Hopefully you caught this already, but here's the deal. If any of us is being a jerk, we are not doing it for Jesus, God's word tells us to do the opposite, actually. Listen to the instruction in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. So that you may know, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Hope you're picking up on these words here. Let your conversation be always full of grace. 
when you're answering everyone. I mean, I think there's a point being made here about where grace needs to be in our words. And earlier we read, let everything you say be good and helpful. You know, you know what makes godly words so different, so special? It's not that we can be nice and helpful and awesome and good sometimes. That's not what makes godly words different. It's that they are gracious in every circumstance. It's that we refuse to make excuses or exceptions for ourselves. We are committed to not tearing others down, even when we feel justified, even when we feel like, usually not, but maybe in this case, even then, we go to grace even when everyone else is doing something different. Finally, what makes godly words unique? Godly words are trustworthy. We cannot call our words godly unless they are impeccably trustworthy. Now, I could start out by telling you another very simple fact, and that is that God really hates lies. I mean, I could point you to uh, some, some evidence for this. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, where there's a list. It says, you want to know what God hates? He hates these things. And there's a list of seven things in that, that passage. And numbers 2 and number 6 are both about lying. I could point you to the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. The commandment number 9 is, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. I could point you again to Ephesians chapter 4. We went there earlier. We could look at verse 25 this time, and it commands it straight up. This verse says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. And I could also easily go to double digits of other teachings in the Bible that specifically denounce lying and promotes telling the truth. But even if I told you those things, which I kind of just did, but even if I did, I would say, well, again, what is so rare about that? I mean, almost anyone, I think I could ask any one of you in a one-on-one -on -one interview, I could say, do you want people to tell you the truth? And do you, you know, do you appreciate being lied to? You would say, oh, I want people to tell me the truth, and I really do not appreciate being lied to. I think every single person here, and if you're not, let me know. It would be an interesting conversation. But I think every single person here would say, yes, I want people to tell me the truth. I do not appreciate it when people deceive me and they lie to me. Yeah? We're all there at a starting point. But here's the thing. I think we all also live, not maybe all, maybe there might be some people that don't, but at least a lot of us really live with a double standard as well. Because we actually, in our culture, we have what I would say a whole lot of things that I would call culturally normal or culturally acceptable lies. These are just lies that, you know, like, hey, everyone does this. We don't even expect you to tell the truth here, you know. Those are the okay ones, right? We all have our own you know, idea of what those might be. I mean, if you, if you lied in a court case under oath and helped a murderer get free, people are going to tell you you're a monster, right? But really there are a bunch of lies. There are so many of them that if you confessed to these lies, you know what people would call you? They'd call you normal. Or in some cases, and I'm not kidding you about this, they might even compliment you and call you clever, 
They'd be like, I? Why didn't I think of that? I mean, we, we you know, people lie to each other uh, just to make themselves look better to others. You know, that little text that says, I'm on my way when you haven't even started being on your way, but you want to look good, right? And then you get there late. And when you're late, oh, the traffic was so, so terrible. There was no traffic. That's not why you're late, right? But it's so we look good to other people. Um, in our workplaces, in our formal environments, our schooling and everything, like uh, we lie just to kind of get along with life. Uh, there was a monster.com survey of job recruiters and they came up with the number that something like 85% of people exaggerate the truth, <clears throat> lie on their resumes about their experience or their skills so they can get hired for a job they maybe aren't really qualified for. Before they're applying for jobs, people are dishonest even just to earn their degrees. Um, I was disturbed when I read this. There was a U.S. news report that showed that 56%, this is you know, just a little over half, of graduate students in business. So these are you know, some of the higher people going further along in business, maybe. They admitted that they had cheated on their academics at least at one point to get where they're at. Now these people are in leadership positions across corporate America. It makes you feel great, doesn't it? And then a career builder study in 2017 found that 40% of employees who called in sick weren't really sick, even though that's a fireable offense in most companies. So, I mean, look, we, we, we lie about, uh, you know, the education we get, and then we... We lie to get our education. We lie to on a resume to get the job. And then once we're in the job, we lie so we can not be there. It's like, and all of these things are fairly normal. We'll lie just to get a, a child's price at a restaurant when our, you know, child is older than 12 years old. And, uh, you know, it's ridiculous that you'd say my 13-year-old's an adult, right? Uh, we lie when the cops pull us over for some, and ask you that question of, you know, is there a good reason why I shouldn't give you a ticket? Well, I'll give you 10 good reasons. Yeah. Um, we will wear clothes and return them after wearing them once and say, oh, we never wore it, just didn't fit right, you know. Uh, we, we will share, you know, accounts on Netflix even though we signed a legally binding contract saying we'll never share this outside of our household. But, you know, hey, the list can go on and on and I'm not here to bring condemnation on anyone. I'm just making this point that we may say lying is bad. We may say it over and over again. Every one of us may make that claim that I don't want anybody to lie to me. But the reality is over and over again, normal people, find lying to be useful. That's useful, maybe even excusable in some cases. And there's, there's one more thing I think we got to talk about here. Um, there's a different kind of lie, I think, that, that needs to be addressed, and it may even be more common than all of those. And that's what I would say is the, the, the future lie. When you say it, it is not a lie yet. <laughs> it is not a lie yet, but it will be. How many times do you and I make a commitment to someone else and really never follow through? I'll call you back. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll get that done. I'll do the dishes. I won't stay work at late tonight. Uh, I'm going to set time aside. I mean, be honest, okay? So when, when someone makes one of those promises to you and doesn't follow through, are you even surprised anymore? you're probably still disappointed, but I'll bet you, you're probably not surprised that this happened because we do this all the time. 
We promised and then we failed to deliver. Why? It's because our words are not really there for them. They were said for our own purposes. That promise makes me look good in your eyes. Oh, I'm going to do this thing that's going to help you or be what you want. It makes me look good in your eyes for at least a moment. But when something better or easier comes along, the promise vanishes into thin air. And this is so common, we don't even think of it as like dishonesty anymore. It's like this is what just happens, right? So imagine this, okay? Put yourself in this scenario. Um, you've listed your used car on Craigslist for sale. The ad says you will sell it for $5,000, which by the way is a great deal for like used cars nowadays because they're crazy prices. But you said, I will sell my car for $5,000. Someone calls you up and says, hey, I will be there tomorrow morning and I will pay you $5,000 for your car. Do we have a deal? You of course agree. That's what I was hoping would happen. Yeah, let's do that. So yeah, we'll, we'll sell you the car tomorrow morning. An hour later, Somebody else calls you up and offers you double. You know, I really wanted that car. I will pay you $10,000 for that tomorrow morning. What would you do? In our culture, 99% of people would probably not fault you for saying, well, you go with the higher offer. This is just business, right? Let me be the 1% here to tell you that Godly words would look a little different. Godly words are trustworthy. If you made a commitment, you don't back out of it because something better for you just came along. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his followers, stop taking oaths. What? Stop taking oaths? Is that because making solemn promises to other people is a bad thing? No. It's because in Jesus' time, People's word wasn't worth a whole lot then either. In their culture, they didn't feel obligated to keep their word unless they made an oath. And really, you can see it in Jesus' words if you read this passage. Really, it wasn't even sometimes enough to make an oath. They said, well, that's not a strong enough oath to keep. I didn't swear against the high enough thing. So only if I make this kind of oath can you really tell that I'm going to keep my word. And Jesus said, no, no, your yes or your no should be enough. Don't get into this game of, oh, I didn't say it the right way. I didn't say it at the right time. I didn't swear by the right thing in the right place. Followers of me, your yes or your no should be dependable for other people. You see, godly words are, they really are different. They're different. They are rock solid. You, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are claiming to follow the one who said, I am the truth. You are following truth personified. You can't follow him and be cool with lying. Not big lies or little lies, right? You're following. Not the mostly honest. You're not following the usually dependable. You're following the truth. You also can't say that you'll do something and lie later with your actions because a better offer came along or your feelings changed or because whatever you promised actually turned out to be a little harder than you thought it would be when you promised it. Anyone can be mostly honest. Anyone can make empty promises. But those aren't the kind of promises our Lord makes to us. Jesus 
the truth himself calls us to something much higher than that. I want to invite the worship team to come back up at this time as we prepare to wrap up the service. I want to leave you with this thought, though. Uh, you know, sometimes you have this privilege of, you know, talking to people about what's going on in their lives and, you know, where they're at and things, you know, the life group or small group type of environment. You might hear what people are working on, where, where they're challenged. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who said, you know, I'm really working on my words right now. I don't know that. You know, I want to see God change the words that I use. I feel like I've done so much chaos, so much hurt with my words. Maybe not even ever on purpose, but I, I just really want to see God do something different there. I don't know when, if ever, I've heard someone say this. But would you consider asking God for the grace needed to take on that journey? Your words are one of the most important ways you will ever impact the people you encounter in this world. They are powerful. They will bring death or life, blessings or curses. I invite us all here. It's, it's going to be a journey, and it's one that we need God's grace to walk on. He's got the perfect words. He's got the perfect way of speaking and communicating. We need that. But God wants to guide us and lead us and strengthen us in that journey to choose godly words. They're a little too rare today. But they're measured. They're gracious. And they are trustworthy. Let's pray. Father God, help us to choose life on this one. I want my words to be life to others, to bless them and to draw them in. I want my words to represent you well, Lord. I want others to be able to say about me, there's something different about the way he communicates to people and different in a good way. I pray this for myself, Lord, and I pray it for every other person here who agrees with me in this prayer. Change our hearts, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways and change our words. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.